Father, we love you. We thank you that you're the kind of father that you are, the kind of father that's always revealing himself to us because we frankly always have a wrong idea of you and you're in constant correction to us of your nature. So I thank you, Father, that you exist outside of our definition. And it's you who define yourself and it's you who define us. And we pray that we yield to both definitions. And we give you glory and we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, who was sent to this earth to redeem us, not just from our sins, but from ourself, from our opinions, from our preferences. You purchased us, you didn't just purchase our iniquity, you purchased the value as well. You own it all. And we thank you for being so patient and kind to call us your children. What an honor that we take lightly most days to be called the sons and daughters of the living God, to be the family of heaven on earth be joined by one spirit, one blood, to have one enemy, and it's not each other. We thank you, God, for the spirit of unity, the spirit of grace released over this house and over these people. Send your angelic hosts to fight against the spirit of division in the hearts and the minds of people which feeds off of selfishness that's uncontrolled in people's lives. May we have the mind of Christ which puts our brother first. Use us, Father, as you will and as you see fit. We exist for your pleasure, your purposes, and your glory. We honor you today. We thank you for your love. We bless you and we are so appreciative precious, beautiful son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you all. So try to stay with the Lord. If you're visiting here this morning, you're welcome. We are glad you're here. If you're a... uh, a visitor who's been a few times, we still welcome you. And if you've been here for 25 years, I still welcome you. Uh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that uh, you've chosen to be with us this morning. I pray the Lord blesses you, but I also pray that we are challenged in our spirits. How many of you guys know that where you're at right now, in your walk with God, contains not only the ability to be the most deceived you've ever been, but it also contains the ability to be the most progressive in God you've ever been. And it all depends on us. Because I mean, you guys know if you achieve a certain level in the Lord and you stay there, that you begin to judge everything in the entire world by where you're at instead of where you need to be. You know, we were, I encourage you guys to come to home groups. If you haven't come to home groups, I really encourage you. Some of them are, you know, just different and some of them are great and some of them are normal and some but but being with people and hearing what the Lord is saying 
He's amazing. And there was something I felt like that came from the Lord Monday night. We were discussing this idea that Christianity is not the attempt at a better version of you. So without realizing it, we as creative beings, you guys understand we're made in the image of God and God's a creator. It's the first attribute we see. It's not love. He did everything out of love because he is love. But the first attribute we see of him is creativity. And so people have a desire to create. We, we create children. We create houses. We create programs. We create ideas. Everybody in here has created something in your life. You create chaos. You create division. You create pain. You create doubt. You create unbelief. You create faith. You create hope. But how many of you guys understand that we create an idea of ourselves that we want to be, and it's something God never made? And so using your own form of Christianity to pursue the idea you've created of yourself is a never-ending circle where you drill yourself into your own grave because it's not something God made and He's not going to service your image. In other words, it's not about you becoming what you want to be. It's about you becoming like Christ. You're not the standard. A better version of you is not the standard. <laughs> but that's what we're searching for. If I can just get to this place in God... If I can just get this place with my wife or my husband. If I can just get to this place with my kids. If I can just get somewhere here. If I can be more patient, I'd be a better believer. I'd be satisfied in myself. No, you wouldn't. Because you're not the standard. And you and I are always going to be subpar to Jesus. And no matter how good we are in our polished image, we're going to be unfulfilled in our heart. So you and I have to let go of those idols, which is the greatest idol you'll ever fight against in your life is a better version of you. And that's where the enemy gets into deception. Because he uses the love that you have for God to deceive you into trying to be like God without God. And that's what most Christianity is about. Does that make sense? You want to be like him so bad, you begin to pursue things he never created. Are you with me? So where you're at right now is the most... It carries the most potential to be moved into the image of God, but it also carries the most potential to be deceived if you stay exactly where you're at. So I say all that this morning to say I really don't care where you are with God. You need to grow. <laughs> I don't care what experiences you've had. I don't care what ministry positions you've held. All of that means absolutely nothing when you stand before God. He's not going to look at pastors and go, oh, because you were a pastor, come on in. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He's going to say, because you were a pastor, now I have to judge you by two books instead of one. Anybody that's held ministerial positions will be judged double judgment. Even if you don't hold those offices anymore, your life is still under that standard. Because you led people. And if you led them wrong, eesh. I don't take kindly to people trying to tell my children lies. It's not, it's not going to go well for you. You may beat me in the end, but you'll remember me for the rest of your life. So we're talking about following Jesus, and we need to be around people to do that. Home groups are a good place to do that, right? So come to home group. There you go. That's a good plug for home group. That's what we were talking about Monday night. Amen? All right. Um, thank you all for coming. There's, if, if Our diaper day is coming up really soon. If you guys want to be a part of that, please 
please uh, go buy some diapers and bring them in and, and set them back there. And if you want to be a part of the actual day, uh, come help us out. No service this evening. Did everybody get that announcement? Okay. I know it was announced, but a lot of people talk during announcements, and then whenever it happens, they're like, what? You know, so um, no service this evening. And, uh, you know, I think this morning, you guys, the worship team did such a great job. But there's always that place where when one person's missing, you notice. And I think it's understandable that that's how the body is. When we separate from the body, you're missing. And people notice, even if you don't feel valuable. Right? Right. Yeah? Yeah. So uh, we, we, uh, y'all pray for Abe this morning. He's our drummer, and he called me yesterday. He didn't sound so good. So uh, he got the the funk. So y'all pray for him. And uh, wash your hands. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. Amen. We're going verse by verse through Ephesians. If you're, you're here and you missed any sermons at all, we've, we're in chapter uh, 4, the last part of chapter 4. Tell them I said hello. Um. We, we got to verse 30 and got hung up there, and we're still there. Uh, what, we had three or four. This is our fourth week on one verse. Yikes. So um, if you guys under, don't understand by now that there's more in the Word of God than what we see, you need to slow down and read with the Spirit of God. Don't try to extract something that you're trying to find. Be open to what He wants to show you. Because every time you open that book, if you read by the Spirit, He's going to show you something specific that maybe you see that nobody else ever has. And if you don't give that, then you're holding back a part of God that we're all praying for. Because anybody that believes that, that the essence of God is, is achieved by coming to Sunday morning service listening to one man is already deceived. The body's bigger than a pastor. Much, much bigger. <laughs> there's more of you to hear from God than there is from me. <laughs> you, you understand this? This is why you need to come to home group. Okay. <laughs> we need the voice of the Lord in people, but we need people submitted to other people so that we know which one is really the voice of the Lord versus your own head. Yes. We need both. <laughs> Amen? Amen? All right, so we got to verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He says later on, do not quench the Holy Spirit, whom by your sealed for the day of redemption. This Spirit of God is the power by which we live life. How many of you guys understand that by now? Okay. And again, I said earlier, if you've missed all these, I'm going to have to recap a little bit. But the Holy Spirit is broken down into seven parts. Okay. If you go look at Proverbs, it says wisdom has hewed out seven pillars. There's seven spirits to God in Revelation. All of those are comprised of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most perfect form, I don't want to say of God that you could ever have, but it's the most complete form of God's essence. That's why it filled Christ in the earth. Even Jesus, who was perfect. Hear me. You understand, he was born without sin. But he still had to be born by the Spirit. And then later on, he had to be filled with that spirit. And then that spirit had to rest upon him, not just in him. We talked about that last week. The difference between resting in and upon. You with me? 
When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're grieving the Spirit that rests upon us, which is for everybody else. Uh Are you following me? Recapping for you. We are born again the same way Jesus was born, by the Spirit. Such an honor. Think about that. That God chose you to, to birth you the same way he chose to birth his own son. Yeah, that's really good. I don't know why you're looking at me like that. It's really good. <laughs> you realize how honored you are and privileged you are to be born the same way that God birthed his one and only son. Like in that, that you can't tell the difference apart in Jesus. He looks at you, he sees his son. It's whew, such an honor. Because I'm so glad he doesn't see the, me. Because that guy's bad news. He says, don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So we went through the, the different spirits of the Holy Spirit. We've gone through the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of counsel, uh, all those different things of, how, of who Holy Spirit is and how we can grieve the spirit of knowledge, how we can grieve the spirit of counsel in our life. You understand that? Yes. You know, as the Word of God says, that, God says that I will raise up pastors or leaders, shepherds, who will feed you with the spirit of counsel and understanding. And so if you're despising the word of the Lord coming through a man or a woman of God in your life, you're grieving the spirit of God. You may be excusing it because you don't like the mouth it's coming out of, but when you stand before Jesus, he's going to say, that was my voice, not theirs. You were in complete rebellion, even though you thought you were correct. Wow. Yeah. It's scary thought to me, and I'm not, guys, listen, I'm not, I'm the farthest thing from perfect. But it's a scary thought for me that because of the position I carry, that alone, on the day of judgment, many, many, many people are going to hear my voice echo in their head. When, God, when they accuse God and say, you never told me, you never showed me, you never said this to me. And they're going to hear the accent of my voice in their brain. And they're going to, realize, and they're going to say, I didn't know that was you. I thought that was that irritating pastor that you had. <laughs> true everybody wants to submit when it's convenient nobody doesn't want to nobody wants to submit when they disagree with authority but yet they want their kids to submit to them so they're hypocrites you ask your children to do anything and you expect them to obey and you admit that you're not perfect and you won't do that to the person that God's placed in your life, then you're a hypocrite. Does that make sense to you? Yikes. Yeah. This thing is real practical. The Holy Spirit isn't a feeling. He's a person who ends in practicality. So I said last week, the voice of wisdom cries in the streets trying to get the sons of men to turn away from their deeds. There was no feeling involved in that chapter when it's talking about God giving the voice of wisdom to those people walking through those places of life. There was no emotional goosebumps. There was no, oh, I feel the Spirit. I need to turn away from sin. She's literally just practically saying, stop doing what you're doing. And we think the Holy, you know, that's, that's why I said last week, we are, we are so deceived in our modern interpretations of what we think God is. We go to a church service and we're like, well, I didn't feel the Spirit there. So there's no, I didn't feel the Holy Spirit in that room. (laughs) 
Yeah, see, I'm, I'm training them right. <laughs> what you're saying is I didn't feel a feeling. Because you've reduced God to an emotion. And he's much more than that. Which is why we get in trouble in our life when we live by our... But that's why people need ministry meetings, because they're in their feelings. If people would just get out of their feelings, we wouldn't have to have the spirit of counsel so much. Right? We need to live by the spirit, which is a practical reality of, of, of releasing God into the earth, with or without emotion. So now we're on the spirit of the fear of the Lord. <laughs> that's a good one. That's one thing that I really believe that there's multiple parts of the Holy Spirit that we despise in our lives. But this is the one that I don't think people get the most. Because we feel like we're saved by grace, and because we have this new revelation that's come in the last five to ten years of the goodness of God and Abba, and we sing the song, Oh, How He Loves Us, and this restoration of the Father's heart, which is absolutely necessary. You have to have that. You have to cut your teeth on that. You have to be born into that. You have to get that as the foundation of everything in your life. The problem is, is that young, immature believers who only have that foundation can't see God any other than they're where they're at. And then when you start talking about the fear of the Lord, they start hurling insults and judgments at you for being legalistic. Because the only thing they see is where they're at. And I've told you over and over again, the, the, the greatest form of immaturity is seeing things through your lens of your gift or, or where you're at in your own season. Because there's much more than that. God is much bigger than the gift he gave you. Did you hear what I said? But people judge everything by their gift. It doesn't matter. I can pick on any of them. Any of the five. Especially the five. Or, or the peripherals. Musicians, you know, expect everybody to be worshipers, you know, and you should be, but it's more than that. And prophets expect everybody to be serious and oh, I'm going with Jesus, but it's more than that. And evangelists are like, why aren't you out evangelizing? He's more than that. He's more than that. <laughs> oh. You realize if you're seeing things through the lens of your gift, you're going to be highly disappointed when you get to heaven and there's nobody to evangelize? What are you going to do? Like, you're out of a job, buddy. You're on the last, you're at the bottom of the totem pole now. Right? The spirit of the fear of the Lord is the part of the, of, of the Holy Spirit that we deny the most. Do you know how the spirit of the fear, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to get into this, but do you know how the spirit of the fear of the Lord works? He works through that little voice that you excuse in your head. Yeah. Amen. Yep. And every time you despise that voice or disobey that voice, you're despising the voice of the fear of the Lord. Because that voice is not there to dominate you, it's there to protect you from what's coming because she can see so much farther than we can. You guys remember the word aharit? Yeah? That we talked about last week? So I want you to look at this, Hebrews chapter 5. Paul's telling us, do not quench the Spirit. 
If you quench the spirit, you're quenching the very power in which you're trying to live as a Christian. Christianity was never made to be hard. It was made to be impossible. We can't do it without the spirit, you guys. But we quote all these things. We, we theologically believe them, but we practically live a different way. That's called practical atheism. In, in, in theological terms, we agree that it's not by might, not by power, and we'll have an amen and, sh- and wave a hanky. But in practicality, we ignore all of that, and we try to do all of it on our own. Show me someone who has an aversion to community, and I'll show you somebody who is trying to do their entire Christianity on their own. Like these, these super spiritual people, like I don't need to ch- go to church, I am the church. No, you're one block of a massive building, and you're missing. And nobody ever looked at a block and called it a house. You're one brick. You're not the whole thing. I love it when people say stuff like that to me, and I'm like, you know, how in the world do you think that your personal relationship with Jesus is greater than the horizontal? Because Jesus even says, if you're off with a brother, stop worshiping me, and go get it right, and then I'll come back and receive you. So much of, of the horizontal. That's why Paul talks about this. Everybody wants to get to a spiritual warfare. You th- <laughs> it really irritates me. I don't ever say anything, but it really irritates me when people start talking about spiritual warfare, and they start talking about binding and loosing and praying and jumping and shouting, and, and that's the farthest thing from spiritual warfare. How you live your life before you pray like that determines whether when you pray like that, if it works or not. That's why Paul is talking about one through five before he gets to six. And even six is only half the chapter that we talk about. Spiritual warfare doesn't start until half the, half the chapter. The first part of chapter six, he's still dealing with relationships. Do you realize if you read Ephesians all the way through and you just focus on how much he's actually talking about the horizontal and the relational side of things, it's far more in content than actual warfare of chapter 6. Like how you treat your kids, how you treat your wife, how you treat your husband. We've talked about this, right? How many have been convicted in this since we've been going through it? Like how you treat people is how you offend Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. We haven't got there. Actually, go to the next verse. So we can finish and I'll just go back, right? (laughs) Don't quench the spirit. Here's the context. Why does he say this right after? Like, you guys understand context? Like, the, the order of thought and why someone's saying what they're saying? That verse is here because of a reason that he pushed, he put it here specifically. The Holy Spirit through Paul put it here. Don't quench the spirit. Oh, by the way, don't be bitter, angry, or fighting, or speaking evil from, from amongst you. Get it out. Why? Because that's one of the ways you quench the Spirit. But somehow we have this idolized idea that my relationship with Holy Spirit is completely separate from you and how I treat you. <laughs> wow. That's wrong. Because his spirit is in people, isn't he? So what does it say? You have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, right? Guess what? So do I. But if mine's offending yours, I'm not just hurting you. I'm hurting myself. I'm not just offending the spirit of God in you. I'm offending the spirit of God in me because it's the same 
Did you, are you catching that? Yes. That spirit is what makes us one. Without him, we can't love each other. Without him, we won't get along. Without him, there's all kinds of groups and factions that would start creating in the church based on human likes and interests. I wouldn't get along with any of you. I'd leave. <laughs> because without God, I'm a loner. I'd just leave me alone. So funny to me that God called somebody who doesn't, never wanted to be around people to lead a community. Thank you. Yeah. It's impossible without him. Is that the last one? Is there one more? Yeah. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. To not forgive is to quench the spirit. Do you realize that somebody has to do something wrong to you before you can forgive? That's a great verse as long as somebody hadn't hurt you. Most of the New Testament that's written is conditional upon you being wounded. Yet we're trying to create a sterile form of Christianity that keeps everybody happy, healthy, and whole. That's not how it works. There is no growth without pain. And then here it comes to like someone, a believer hurts you, and they're like, they shouldn't have done that. No, you're probably right, but you've hurt a lot of people too, and you shouldn't have done that. The problem is, it isn't who isn't hurt, who is hurting who. The problem comes down to, why aren't we letting that pain purify us the way it did in Jesus? Why aren't we using that pain as the opportunity in the springboard to be tenderhearted toward one another? No, we want to adopt the spirit of the lie and accuse. Do you guys remember when we talked about the Holy Spirit falling on them in the chapter of Acts where the tongues of fire were on their heads? Uh Do you realize that there's only two mouths you're ever going to be speaking from as a believer? There's no third option of you. It's either the devil or or Jesus. You're either building people up or you're tearing them down. There's no other option. And if you're tearing them down, you don't have the tongue of fire on your head. You've got the tongue of hell in your mouth. While claiming to be filled with the Spirit. This is why Jesus says you need to repent. You need to be kind. You need to, be, you need to take care of one another. All, all through Ephesians up to this point, it's been about how we treat each other, hasn't it? Go read it again. You know, Having pure religion doesn't mean you add some sort of southern gospel twang to your voice and say, bless the Lord all the time. (laughs) It's how you treat people who are down and out and in need. Or the ones that have hurt you. All right, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. It's talking about Jesus, and he says, And he also says in another place, talking about Jesus, you are a priest forever. This is talking about Melchizedek, who is the pre-incarnate Christ. I can't get into that right now. But he says, you are a priest forever, according to the uh, the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, this is Jesus, 
was both offering petitions and entreaties to God, being able to save him from death with strong crying and tears and being heard from his godly fear. Though being a son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Go back to verse 7. Do you realize that Jesus feared? He revered, he had reverence for the severity of the situation, the plan of God, the eternality of, of the complexity of, of what was going on in the, in the earth at the moment. That he lived under the spirit of fear, not the demonic one, but the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So much so that eternity was constantly before him. The Bible says that the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame because he saw what came after. He lived under that spirit of fear and that sense of the spirit of reverence of God that I must do this correctly or everything's at stake. And then you couple that with 1 John says, anyone who names the name of Christ must live as he lived. Well, how did Jesus live? With the understanding of the eternal consequence of life. That one choice can literally steal from someone the reason why God puts you in their life. The, the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord will tell you how high the stakes are. I, guys, I, so many, I counsel so many people whose, whose lives are already messed up and they're trying to run back and change 16, 17, 18 years of bad child rearing. But in the moment, if you'd have told them, this is not right. You don't need to, you can't raise your children like this. They would have mocked you and disagreed with you. Ask me how I know because I've done it 10, 15, 20 years ago. I've told people if you don't start telling your children no, if you don't start raising them right, you're going to have a chaotic situation on your hands. I just don't agree with that. And guess what? Those kids are demonic to this day. Drug addicts. And then their parents were like, oh, we need help. You despised the voice of wisdom. And now you want God to fix what you created. No, those kids are permanently trained in the way you trained them. And it's going to take God only to break what you created. Because now it's involved and intertwined in their will, which he cannot break. And you cannot manipulate. This is the fear of the Lord. That how we're living now has 10, 20, 30, 40 year consequences. It's not just for our life. But the mind of the Hebrew understood that everything was about the glory of God and posterity. The American mind does not think that way. Everything is about God in our life, and who cares what happens to our kids? Now, we wouldn't say it that way because we think we actually care, but we care in a demonic way. We care by giving in to every impulse they want because we don't want to be the bad guy. Well, let me tell you something. All you're doing is empowering the enemy to govern their life. And you'll come to whatever church you're going to in 10 or 15 years, if it's this one or another one, and you'll be bawling in a pastor's office someday about why your children have ripped your heart out and run from God. 
unless we listen to the voice of wisdom. Now, I'm not saying if you do everything right, your kids are going to be perfect. What I am saying, it's your job as a parent to train up your children in the way they should go. Now, if they make a different decision, that's not on you. But so many parents realize at some point in their life, they wake up and go, this is all on me. And now, if they don't get it right, it's going to double in their next generation. And your grandkids will be twice the child of hell that your kids were. Because sin multiplies, just like the gospel does. Does this make sense? Because the spirit of the fear of the Lord is missing in the church. We just want to feel good on Sunday mornings and be like, oh, we felt the Holy Spirit in the room. Do you know why he's there in emotion? Because that's probably the only way you're going to listen to him. And it's not to condone where you're at. It's to pull you out of where you're at. He doesn't show up because you're doing everything right. He shows up because he's trying to take you deeper into what is right and pull you out of what is wrong. Oh, I felt the Lord in that church. It was such a good service. Why? So that you can just have your emotions satisfied or so that you can be pulled out of the mindset that you're in? Is that the voice of wisdom screaming into your life saying, turn aside? What are you putting your life into? The pursuit of money? (laughs) It doesn't matter if you make millions of dollars if your demonic children spend it all on something else. We have got to take care of what God's given us. Our children, our communities, our city. We're trying to, there's so many pastors in this area that are trying to undo generations of garbage in this town. Because somebody didn't do it right. And the church is constantly playing catch up. It's not the will of the Lord. Does this make sense to you? You say, this is heavy. I don't like this. Well, so, so is eternity. Amen. Come on. It's a long time. Yes. And you say, well, brother, I know I'm going to heaven. Do you know your kids are going? Ooh, come on. Do you know your neighbor's going? Because if it's just about you, you've already fell into the selfish trap of quenching the Spirit, which is the mind of Christ is taking care of everybody else around you. Mm. Jesus, if he'd had that mindset, said, I'm never going down there because I'm good. I'm already in heaven. I already made it. I'm okay. I'm not worried about anybody else as long as I make it. Mm. The fact that God so loved the world was the reality that he wanted everybody else to exist and share in what he possessed. And if we don't have that same heart for our brothers, our sisters, our family, our, ki- our kids, then we really don't love them. <laughs> oh, I mean, I see it sometimes. I see kids manipulate their parents, and because their parents love them, they give in to that manipulation. I'm like, you just gave in to a devil. Mm-hmm. But because it's, it's clothed in the face of your child, you melt. Mm. But that wasn't the Holy Spirit. And if you don't get a handle on that, all you're doing is teaching them how to manipulate people to get what they want. And then we grow up with a bunch of manipulators, and then we wonder why our politicians are messed up. It all starts in the home. 
And this love that we have for our kids is not the love of God. I'm not saying some of it isn't, but manipulation is not love. God never manipulates anybody. You with me? Jesus feared because of the eternal consequence of what he saw in our life. You make sense? All right. We need the spirit so that we can hear, so that we can receive correction. We need people in our life. Now, I'm not saying you go and just open yourself to anybody, but you do find people that you can trust in your life that have lived these things, who have fruit in their life, and you pay attention to them. Let me, let me say this. The fruit is greater than the theology. Remember that. So if you find somebody who has better fruit than you, but disagree with their theology, you need to figure out which one's more important. Because if they've got greater fruit, and you disagree with theology, and you let go of the fruit to hold on to your theology, then you're going to keep producing what you're already producing. But if you let go of your theology just for a second to, to investigate the fruit and learn from that, then you're going you're to succeed. So here's what we do. We look at people who are around us in the body of Christ. We find out what they're doing well, and we look at the fruit that we see in their life. And, and regardless of, of the idea, we say, teach me how you did that. And if they show you or tell you something that you disagree with, that's, that's where the fork in the road comes. And that's your choice. With me? I'm going to go through some other scriptures here. 2 Kings 17, verse 39. But the Lord your God you will fear. Right? And he will deliver you out of the hands of your enemies. There's certain things about fearing the Lord that automatically deliver you out of the hand of the, of the devil. Because when the devil comes, he's there to what? Right? And if you're fearing God, he will show you that, that theft, that murder, and that destruction. And by fearing God, you'll run away from the, vac, the, the plan of the enemy. It's not that God does some sort of supernatural sweeping you up from the hand of the enemy. No, it's the spirit of the fear of the Lord in your brain showing you this is going to cause destruction, this is going to cause theft, and this is going to cause uh, uh, death in your life. Oh, well, we're not going that way. <laughs> Look at this one, Psalm 25, 14, beautiful verse. How many of you want to know the secrets of God? I mean, like... Like he's God. Like, I mean, he created. We're still trying to unpack the secrets of creation. Like, and, 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 and there's secrets of the Lord. How mind blowing is that? And he says this here, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that what? Fear him. Does it say the secret of the Lord is with them that call him Abba? Or saved? Why does the Bible speak like this? So we can be instructed in the ways of counsel and knowledge and understanding. The secret of the, of the Lord is with those that fear him. He will show them his covenant. I want to know the covenant of God. Man, because that's a covenant he can't break. <laughs> and any promise that he can't break, man, I want to know what it is. Because I want to keep reminding him of that promise. Because if he can't break it, he's, he's bound to fulfill it. 
Those are prayers that get answered. You find where the covenants are and you pray those, you're definitely, you're going to get guaranteed to get your prayers answered. Guaranteed. Psalm 33, 18. Behold, look, the eye of the Lord, God's eye, the eye of the Father, is upon those that fear him. How many of you want God paying attention to your life? Some of you are like, absolutely not. <laughs> no, thank you. And his eye is upon those that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. The eye of God is upon those that fear him. The eye of the Father is on the sons that fear him. Do we fear God? Do we fear Him? Do we fear the, the eternality of life? So many people get born again and they just have this, oh, wow, I'm not going to hell anymore. This is so awesome. There's more to it than that. You're responsible for things. Too much is given. If you've been given a marriage, you begin one of the most valuable things on the planet. I'll tell you this, guys. I'll tell you this. And all my heart, the second most important decision you will ever make in your life, other than getting saved, because that's number one, is your marriage. God entrusted you with one of His. They're not your wife, your husband. They are His son, His daughter. Much is given. You fear that. You understand that? We'll get into it in, in chapter 5 and 6, but God says, husbands, if you don't treat your wives right, God will not answer your prayer. There again, we go with the horizontal being more important than the vertical. He said, you have no access to me if you treat everybody like garbage because this is my family. These are my children. The same thing with your kids. You call them your kids. They're simply just, they're kind of not. They're kind of not, they're kind of his. <laughs> and you'll be judged with how you raise them. It's, it's, it's the fear of the Lord. Even Jesus talks about people going to heaven who will be beaten with many stripes. It's like, man, this is serious stuff. This is serious. Like, we talked about this last week. John, the guy that... You know, the emotional guy, like he's the guy that, just let me lay your, my head on your chest, God. Huh? He snuggles in. And he sees Jesus in his enthroned reality, and he falls at his feet as though he were dead. There was no chest-laying moment that came up inside of him when he saw that man. It wasn't like, oh, the chest I used to lay on. It's, he fell at his, there was a seriousness, a fear. For another sermon, but so many Christians serve the pre-cross Jesus. He's the same, but he's really different. It's the post one that's coming back. It's the post-cross Christ that's returning. He's the one that's alive and went well now. Like the pre-cross Jesus, that's the human era. That's the idea we live in, in our flesh and bone. But the one who's coming back, he's a perfect man. We're not. <laughs> he's complete. 
He went through the humanity stage and conquered. He's coming back as a lion. He's not coming back as the lamb. He's not. Go read Psalm 2. Prophetic statement of the Christ, the ruler, the redeemed risen one. Not the one pre-cross, the, the one who put everything under authority. Who rules the nations with the rod of iron. I don't know what you do with a rod of iron, but it seems to me like you use it to beat some people over the head with. He says, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. There will come a day where this gentle idea of God that we have and not overriding our will. He will come and he will override your will. Every area of our life where we did not bow the knee, he will force it to the ground. Every area of our life where we did not confess him as Lord. I'm not talking about generic salvific reality. I'm talking about confessing him Lord over our, how we train our children, over our relationships, over our churches, over our obedience to outreach, over our, our relationships with our wives. Every area where we did not bow the knee to the Holy Spirit, he will force it down and he will make out of our mouths come the idea of obedience. Amen. The fear of God. This day is coming and it's approaching now in our generation more than ever. And if you don't feel it stirring in your heart, you need to be prayed for. Because there are signs all around us. And Jesus rebuked people for not recognizing signs. Not, yeah, well, nobody knows the day or the hour. That's not what he said. He said, no, you would know the season and the time. We don't know exactly the moment. But we know, we know it's coming. And we know what to look for. And we know what things predate that. And we know what seasons happen. And like, oh, this is happening. It's close. And those who pay attention theologically have even greater insight than that. I'm not going to tell you that here because you might disagree with me and I don't want to fight with you. <laughs> Psalm 147.11, but the Lord takes pleasure. Man, I, mean, I want to please God in my life. I want to please God. The Lord takes pleasure. When you listen to that voice and you turn away, it pleases God. People say, well, that's, obedience is legalism. I won't say that generically, but it's an idea of immature people. I hate it. Oh, I hate it. It just shows me where the devil's just laced himself into people's minds and they think what they think is the Holy Spirit because it comes from them. It's like, no, we got to go back to the verses. There's so, much part, there's so much of this Bible that I'm not comfortable with. I read it and I'm like, I wish I didn't say that. <sighs> so hard. So hard, especially in our culture that it adopts all this generic garbage that's totally against Scripture. And then they come to me and they're like, hey, what's your thoughts on this? I'm like, you really don't want them. Like, I don't even know why you're asking me. Because you're not going to like my response. Because I and then I tell them, and they're like, "Why well, don't see it that way?" I'm like, "Why'd you even come?" Like I, like I, I could be doing something better right now. I don't want to argue with you. If you've already made your decision, don't call me for a counseling session. Good night, Almighty. Let's not do that. Go find another pastor to do that. You go keep church hopping until you find the guy that tells you what you want to hear. It's not gonna be me. I'm gonna show you what the Bible says. Because I fear God. <laughs> 
I fear me telling you the wrong thing. And then there are certain issues of Scripture I'd rather be a little more conservative on and a little more, maybe it's not that way, but I'm going to assume it is because it's a whole lot safer when I face him. Ah, Be careful with you trying to give yourself a bunch of liberality in your life. And those who hope in his steadfast love, those people who fear him, they hope in his love. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord camps around those that fear him to deliver them. And you get a specific angel assigned to your life if you fear God. He's just like, he's there on assignment to deliver you because you fear the Lord. I want one of those. I'd probably keep him pretty busy and he'd ask for a new job. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 8, listen to this, verse 13. This is crazy because this this is what the Bible says the fear of the Lord is. It's, also, it's the beginning of wisdom, and I don't have time to go. Listen, guys, I know there's verses. I have people come up to me afterwards like, well, you know what it says this to I'm like, yeah, yeah, I just don't have four hours to preach on this. The, the, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Everybody's like, well, I already do that. Oh, what is evil? Anything not of God. It's a good way to put it. Is evil unforgiveness? Then why do we wallow in it? Is rebellion evil? Then why do we do it? Is disobedience evil? Then why do we do it? Is lust evil? Do we really hate evil or do we hate the idea of a bad guy? Whom we've branded as evil. When it gets personal, is divorce evil? It is. Why do we do it? Because we don't fear God. Young people, be very careful who you marry because in God's eyes, it's your only shot, unless both one of you dies. You're stuck, you're done. So hard. So hard. What else is evil? Bitterness? Yep. Judgment? Yep. A lack of submission? Mm, yeah. Is that evil? Oh, yeah. We see Jesus even submitted not only to his father, but to the devil for a season. Mm-hmm. That's how he beat him. He submitted to the cross. He submitted to death. He submitted to pain. He submitted to chaos. He submitted his body to be tested by the, all the powers of hell. And why don't we submit? Because we idolize our opinion. We worship ourselves. We are the standard of everything that's right. But yet we'll say we don't know what we're doing and we need to grow. What's evil? The fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. Whether it's in your life or someone else's, to despise it, to hate it, to want nothing to do with it. That if the idea of unforgiveness and bitterness come to you through a wrong, that you hate evil so much that you say, I will not have that in my life. I don't care what was done to me. 
My response to the pain is not going to be with evil. Are you with me? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. When your children rebel against you, is that not evil? When you rebel against a spiritual leader that God placed in your life, is that not evil? Well, I just don't agree. Y'all got to understand, you come here, you're going to hear my opinion on some of these things. And I was raised by guys who have world stages, and these, these are powerful people in God. And they taught me this. And I've had to live my life by it. It's not submission until you disagree. That's just not. We'll get into that, ladies. You might want to miss that Sunday if you don't want to hear it. When we talk about chapter 5. Is you're going to disagree with your husbands a lot. God doesn't care who's right or wrong. He cares who obeys. See, ladies, it's a powerful thing if you submit even when they are wrong. You know why? Because that means all the judgment goes on him and not on you. Hmm. So these guys are, you got to submit to me. Hey, go for it, man. Because if she actually does and you're wrong, you get all the judgment. You better make sure you're right. And then you might not be so willing to throw that submission word around. You might go, hey, let's pray about this together and find the mind of the Spirit. Oh, we look at things so wrong, don't we? Fear of the Lord is to hate evil, to hate pride. What is pride? It's the putting ourselves over someone else in any way or capacity. You know what that looks like? It, it looks like argumentation. Anytime an argument is broken out, two people are both operating in the spirit of pride. Period. If you find yourself in an argument, there's always two people operating under the spirit of pride, and they had to quench the Holy Spirit to do so. See, we think pride is, oh, it's in that guy over there because he walks out with his chest out. You know the dangerous, most dangerous form of pride is the pride that when you think you're better than anybody else and you don't stick your chest out because you do think you're better than everybody else? I had that when I was young. Like, I was a fairly decent ball player, and all these guys would do all this trash talk on the court, and I never said anything. I was the guy that just... If I blocked your shot or stole the ball, I never said nothing to you. Nothing. And I was proud that I was like that, which negated the humility I thought I had. And God told me, you have the most dangerous form of pride there is. I remember telling me when I was 18 years old, he said, you have the most dangerous form of pride there is. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I didn't see it. To hate pride. To hate arrogance, to hate the evil way, to the mouth that speaks violence. And he says, I hate these things. This is wisdom talking in Proverbs 8, verse 14. Counsel is mine. This is the voice of the Holy Spirit. She says, counsel is mine. Sound wisdom is mine. I am understanding. Understanding is not a thought. It's a person. Truth is not a string of statements that are correct. She's a person. Jesus calls her the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Quench not the spirit. Do you realize that Proverbs personifies her as a woman? Do you know how easy it is to hurt a woman? 
so easy. Everybody's married knows that. You say one wrong thing, even the wrong tone, and all this is like a knife through their hearts. That's the Holy Spirit. She's easily offended, not in the bad way. She also happens to be that female expression of God, and Jesus says anybody who ever blasphemes her will never be forgiven. How important is Holy Spirit in this walk? She's the only one down here. The Father and the Son are up there. Every aspect of God that you intertwine with, every one of them, every emotion, every circumstance, every move, every touch, every prayer, everything that's ever happened in your life only came by the Spirit. And Paul says, do not quench her because she's vital not only to your redemption but to your day-to-day life. By me, kings reign, is what she says. <laughs> what does Jesus call you? You want to reign in God. You cannot do it without the voice of wisdom, without the voice of the Holy Spirit. By princes, they decree justice. By, by me, princes rule, and nobles, and all judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early, they will find. That's amazing. She's not trying to hide. She just doesn't reveal herself until she sought. She's not a dictator. She waits for you to open the door, and then she'll come in. Y'all are making me preach too long. Stop it. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children shall have a place of refuge. Did you hear that? That's that posterity we were talking about a minute ago. If you fear God, you're going to have a place of refuge, a place of confidence in God. That if you've obeyed the voice of the fear of the Lord in your life, you can be confident that he's with you. You can be confident in that idea, but you can also be confident that your children will have a place of safety. (laughs) If you don't fear God, your kids are screwed. Why? Because you'll raise them in in a voice that's outside of the voice of wisdom. Uh, and and, and, I, and I, do, I do sympathize with young people in the spirit who are young, young, young believers who have a hard time with the fear of the Lord. But that's just because you're young and as you grow, God's going to teach you. If you have a hard time with this message, it's probably because you're young in the Lord. Because when you have a baby, the first, thing you, 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 the first thing you don't teach them is fear. Right? You have a baby, you don't teach them fear first, do you? No. You teach them what? You teach them love. You teach them acceptance. You teach them all those things. But as they grow, it has to change. And this is what people don't realize as they grow in the Lord, is that their relationship with God begins to change, but they're expecting God and everybody else to treat them how they were when they were babies. And when it doesn't come, they get offended, wounded, broken judgmental bitter angry because now god's starting to say hey you don't do that 
But they don't want to grow up. They want to rest in Abba's arms forever. Now that's heaven. Here, you got to be like Jesus. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. If Jesus grew in wisdom or the Holy Spirit, yes, so must we. People have a hard time with the fear of God are immature believers. If you're there, that's not a condemnation. I don't condemn a two-year-old for being a two-year-old. That's natural. But if you're 10 and you're acting like you're two, that's annoying. You with me? By mercy and truth, Proverbs 16, 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Verse 7, when a man's ways please God, he makes his enemies to even be at peace with him. What pleases God? Not only faith, but fearing God, fearing the Lord. With me? All right, so all these, that's, that's, that's the end of that. First, these seven parts of the Holy Spirit, I could have went months on each one. But they're there. You can study that out. All these are the Holy Spirit that rested on Christ, and it's the same Holy Spirit that rests on us, and Paul says, don't quench him. Why? Because we're approaching chapter 6, where we're going to need her in battle. She's a warrior. <laughs> and she's strong. <sighs> she's powerful. She convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. She's the one that will stand with God in the end and judge mankind. Don't make her mad. <laughs> She's powerful. Amen? I want you to read one, one or two more things and we're going to close. In Isaiah 11 which is the chapter where it talks about all the spirits that rest upon Christ, which is one spirit of the Holy Spirit, same spirits of, of, the, of, of those in Revelation. It says, but with righteousness, Jesus will judge the poor. He will reprove equity for the meek of the earth, and he will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. This is Jesus. What comes out of his mouth? The rod and the sword. But what comes out of the mouth of God is called pneuma, breath, wind, or spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power in which Jesus will release into the earth for the final judgment. She is the sword that comes out of his mouth. She is the breath of the intention of God. When God speaks, Jesus speaks as the word, but the power Mixed with that word is the Spirit. That sword is not just the Word of God, but it's the Word of God by the Spirit. The rod of iron, the mouth, the two-edged sword. The same one John said, I saw his, his word like a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. The, wet, the, the breath, the wind of God. The Word of God. In every scenario, in every circumstance, we are supposed to release that same wind, that same breath. Does this make sense to you? It goes back to uh, something that Abby had posted on the, our home group page. But Genesis 15, 
we read in Psalms that it says the fear of the Lord, it, 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 the secrets of the Lord belong to, to those that fear him. They will show him his covenant. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. But in the midst of that covenant, there's a, there's a story that happens there that these birds begin to come down and try to devour the sacrifice. And, and Abraham has to drive them away. He has to fight off the things that are trying to steal the covenant from his life. And that word drive away literally means to breathe. That Abraham was operating under the Holy Spirit to keep the covenant of God. And it takes us to operate under that same spirit to also be in and, and, and undergo his covenant. The covenant of the Lord is with them that fear him. What is that covenant? It's, it's the likeness of Christ that he's birthing in us and sonship and kingdom. It's a whole message I have on the Abrahamic covenant of the beginning of the sonship of God when he begins to show the earth his intention and he begins to carry it through all the way to Revelation to the end where he says those who overcome I will not be ashamed. I will be called their God, and they will be called my sons. This covenant, this Holy Spirit is what we need to take care of and what we need to foster and hold. And Paul makes special attention to mention, don't grieve him. Don't grieve her. Don't grieve the spirit of truth in your life. Guys, listen to me. The devil walking around as a roaring lion is not coming to you through drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. If he is... You're dealing with your Adamic nature more than you are dealing with the devil. He comes by disagreements, divisions, unforgivenesses, and bitternesses, and relationships. Discrepancies, or even preference. Do you realize to prefer one preacher or one minister over another only proves your carnality? See, when Paul talks to the Corinthian people, he says, you're carnal. He didn't mention the carnality in that context with the sexual immorality that was going on in the church. He mentions the carnality, not that that was right, but he mentions the carnality specifically because there was divisions amongst the church in preference of preachers. He says, because these things are in your midst, don't you know you're carnal, you're fleshly, you're selfish? So be careful when you're like, well, I just don't like that preacher. You just exposed yourself. That's all you did. Because if you can't value the word of God, no matter who it comes through, then you're only seeing through the eyes of the flesh. Yeah. That's how the devil gets in. Do you know that he would rather get into a church through division than anything else? Because he heard the word of the Lord. A house divided. Why do you think he loves divorce so much? Because he split a house. Yeah. Any guy has ever come from a divorced home? Stinks. Mm-hmm. I always told myself I'm never going to do that to my kids. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. It's about them. Yeah. Yeah. In Jesus' name, they will not know. A daddy who leaves them. Ever. Because I fear God. You with me? We need the fear of the Lord in our life. Now more than ever. We need to pay attention to that little voice in the back of our heads who's saying, don't let him get away with that. Nip that in the bud. You got a problem here. 
Those alarms that are going off in your marriage, you got to pay attention to those. Those alarms that are going off when you see your kids act like that, <laughs> don't, don't ignore that. I, I, I even hear some people, you know, I watch, oh, it's, it's irritating to me because I watch certain kids acting like absolute just beasts and their, par- their parents are like, oh, it's just so cute when they do that. And I'm like, no, it's demonic. <laughs> like, if you think that's cute, you're going to really like hell. It's demonic. That's, that's defiance and rebellion. It's not cute. And then I see people putting these stupid videos online of their kids sassing their parents and just, I'm like, man, that kid needs their butt whipped. And then you wonder why the people don't have any respect for authority. And then someone robs you in the street, and you're like, God, why did this happen? Because someone didn't raise their kids. Somebody else's disobedience is going to affect your life, and yours is going to affect somebody else's. How you're raising your kids right now, you might have to repent to your in-laws someday. Yeah, this is, don't you love me? I mean, you may not, but that's all right, too. I'm not insecure. You need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the, we need the fear of the Lord in our lives. We need to understand that the, the, the decisions have consequences. Rebellion has consequences. Please stand with me. Oh, I hope I did okay. You guys okay? I know it's hard. I know it's heavy. But it's real. And I'd rather tell it to you hard and heavy than you get it there, point your finger in my face and said, you should have told me the truth. I remember this story of a country in, in, in um, I believe it was, um, I believe it was maybe North Korea or Romania or somewhere over there where they were free at one point and they woke up literally the next day and became communists. Literally, overnight, they woke up, all their freedoms were gone. They went to bed free people and they woke up slaves. And the church in that area had been kind of infected by some degrees of Americanism. And the pastors were preaching all this modern prosperity type stuff. And they were hammering their building funds and all this tough stuff and building new buildings and all these types of things. And, and then all of their congregants woke up overnight communists. And several of the people went to the pastors and basically stuck their fingers in their chest and said, if you would have not cared about our, your building fund and actually taught us how to endure suffering, we would be doing a lot better right now. See, I don't want to be that guy. I I want to be the guy that tells you the truth, and if everything hits the fan, you come back to me and go, you know what, you were right. Not because I was right, but because now we can can get through this together, because we, we heard the gospel, we trained ourselves to understand what it went to be a Christian. So, Father, we need you, we thank you, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that birthed the life of the Son of God in us is the same spirit we're supposed to live life by. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you forgive us again for any area of our life that has offended or grieved you. We ask, Father, that your your spirit would be patient with us and work with us and walk with us just like a tender mother raising her children. That you would lead us and guide us into all truth. 
And truth is Christ in us. Christ as the head among us. And we look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Holy Spirit, help us to operate in the spirit of wisdom and counsel and fear. The eternality of life. The consequences. So that we can grow in wisdom the way Jesus did. And be your manifest sons and daughters in the earth. By whom you can move through at any moment because we're conscious of your presence. And when we're not, you convict us and we repent. And we come right back without condemnation. We come back. And we focus on you. We love you. We thank you. And we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.